and welcome to The Big Picture in Practice. Our topic today is cryptocurrency. Joining us today are Madeline Hume, Senior Equity Research Analyst with Morningstar and primary author of Morningstar's first research report on digital assets, and Hashim Mitha, CEO of Meet Amy in Vancouver, British Columbia. Meet Amy is a firm providing cryptocurrency education and technology services to advisor networks. First, we'll start with Madeline. So Madeline, needless to say, 2022 has been a challenging one for cryptocurrency investors. Bring us up to date on what your perspective is on what has been happening, not only in cryptocurrency, but NFTs and other forms of digital assets. Crypto has been an interesting space to be researching in the year 2022. Pretty much the entire year has consisted of a fairly sustained drawdown. The peak of the market was right around November 2021. The past six months in particular have been fairly eventful in the digital asset space. The early innings of the sell-off in crypto were happening kind of in tandem with what was going on in the broader market. Uh, You had a lot in common with the equity markets with Russia invading Ukraine and that sapping investor confidence and causing a lot of people to take money off the table in their risk assets. You had investors fretting about the impact of of rising rates and what that was going to do to their savings. You know, that all had ripple effects throughout the financial markets and especially in crypto as well. But that impacted the crypto market in really specific and unique ways. So the first kind of thing that happened was you started to have a lot of traditional finance with crypto uh, native people called TravFi firms start to take note of what had happened in the past year and take stock of the undeniable retail interest in cryptocurrencies and digital assets and start to think about ways in which they might enter or wade into the crypto space. So you have Fidelity announcing in the US that they would be allowing investments of 401k assets into Bitcoin via kind of a shell vehicle. Morningstar recognized the impact of cryptocurrencies and we published our own research paper. And so you had other firms start to engage with it for the first time. And you also had a really large scale re-underwriting of crypto native providers that had up until that point enjoyed a pretty large market share in crypto given kind of the lack or the absence of traditional players. And some of these firms we recognize now only in retrospect, but uh, players like Celsius, Voyager, and Three Arrows were these really prominent big players that moved markets in crypto and that counterparties in digital assets had sort of taken for granted and expected that they would be able to serve as kind of the other end of the transaction. And what happened in, in May with the blow up of Luna and that stablecoin ecosystem was that everybody kind of woke up to the fact that this was not something that should be taken lightly or, or should be taken for granted. Since then, what we've kind of experienced and what we're now in uh, kind of the later innings of is what's known as a crypto winter. These are periods of time which are not new to crypto. There's oftentimes a really sustained retail interest for short periods of time. And then you have these kind of long drawn out periods where other topics start to take up more oxygen. 
The energy markets obviously have been a big area of focus for people lately. Inflation continues to be important for retail customers as well as investors. But for the crypto space specifically, what that means is that everybody gets to kind of shelf their marketing pitch decks for a little bit uh, and roll up their sleeves and get to work on some technological developments. And so it's a really exciting time to be watching crypto because you do see these really big technological kind of advances or innovations start to happen uh, when everybody else is starting to look elsewhere. So you talked a little bit, Madeline, about some of the similarities uh, over the past period with crypto and the equity markets, and then you've touched on some of the the differences. Let's focus a little bit on investor risk. Um, You wrote in the landscape report that Morningstar published in April of 2022 that cryptocurrencies warrant extreme caution. Is that still the case? And if so, what are some unique risks that investors and and the advisors that work with those investors should keep top of mind? It's certainly still the case that retail investors should tread with caution when engaging with crypto assets and financial advisors as well. You know, with cryptocurrencies, what's happened is these technological entrepreneurs and the financial community have propped up kind of this parallel financial infrastructure in a really short period of time. And that's incredibly exciting and has been the source of a lot of innovation. But what happens uh, sometimes is that there are stopgap measures that are put in place when you don't have the robust infrastructure of the traditional financial markets backing you. You know, there are vulnerabilities and blind spots that people might have with regards to things that they take for granted when they're trading perhaps stocks or ETFs or things like that. One of the main areas where we saw this happen was within crypto, there started to arise kind of this crop of financial providers that were offering really high interest rate savings accounts. This was supportive of higher price levels in crypto assets. What a lot of people were attracted by was the particularly high yield, but there wasn't a lot of thought given to how those yields were being generated. When you have an asset class that's this immature, what that yield is essentially produced by is lending to counterparties that didn't necessarily warrant the level of investment that they received. It really is still just a highly immature space, and it has only been around since 2008. That may seem like a really long time for us, but in terms of an asset class, it's, it's really not much more than a blip. And it means that the creature comforts that investors take for granted just don't apply. So transactions are still very expensive. Retail investors can pay really high rates, even with really slick interfaces like Coinbase and other software programs. Brokerages are really thinly regulated. They serve multiple functions from the exchange all the way to custody. And you also have prices that can sometimes be based on nothing more than how people are feeling about a particular coin. We don't have academically substantiated valuation metrics in crypto yet. And so there isn't oftentimes a contrarian viewpoint when a particular coin is is moving or trending in a particular direction. Madeline, one of the benefits that advisors provide to investors is, is basically setting up diversified portfolios for them. To what degree has crypto been a good diversifier uh, over its relatively short history? Surprisingly, crypto has been fairly diversifying for retail portfolios. I would couch that with the statement that past performance is never an indicator of future (laughs) results. But, you know, there has been a lot made in recent months about the increasing correlations between cryptocurrencies and other 
high-risk assets like tech stocks. And it is certainly true that those correlations have crept up over time and they do behave more in line than they did, say, five years ago. But the absolute level is important to look at in context. Uh, we see that the trends and correlations for cryptocurrencies relative to stock markets are fairly normal for something even like the generalized bond market in terms of the level of change over the past couple of months. That's really a result of kind of the broader positions that the markets are taking and the ways in which people are rebalancing their portfolios and taking risk off the table. That impacts crypto to the same extent it influences those other asset classes. But, you know, when there is greater liquidity in the market and those kind of short-term stressors unwind, we start to see the performance of cryptocurrencies start to diverge from that of, of equities. And that's why it has been um, an interesting diversifier. The reason for that is you do have these kind of idiosyncratic risks within crypto. The events of Celsius and uh, Three Arrows Capital is not something that had a lot of contagion to the broader market. And so it's, it just goes to underscore that crypto is very unique, and that can be both uh, an advantage and it can also be a risk. Having worked with clients closely for all of my time at Morningstar, there has been increasing demand for research and education around this topic. As you think about your next areas of focus from a research perspective when it comes to crypto, what are some things that you are excited to dig into more? So I mentioned that right now in crypto, we have these conditions of crypto winter where the broader market's attentions are elsewhere and the community is kind of left to its own devices for the most part. So one exciting technological innovation that has already come of that has been the merge of the Ethereum blockchain. So previously, Ethereum used a type of blockchain infrastructure very similar to Bitcoin, and it has since pivoted away to a different type of blockchain technology that's called proof of stake. And so with this kind of quantum leap forward, I would argue in the technology, it's going to significantly reduce the amount of energy that Ethereum's blockchain consumes when it's approving transactions to the ledger. It's estimated that the energy savings are on the order of electricity grids of entire countries, such as Chile. And all of these kind of developments and notches along the way in the events leading up to the merge were accomplished by groups of programmers across the Ethereum ecosystem. There's not one company that is in charge of bringing this technological innovation across the finish line and flipping the light switch on. It's the work of many different programming communities, you know, disparate across different time zones, across different interest groups. And so the way that these programming communities were able to come together and bring to bear this really exciting innovation in a decentralized way is a bit of good news for the crypto ecosystem. And so we're going to continue to digest the implications of that for investors. But one notable one is that now that Ethereum allows for staking, that means that investors can put up their Ethereum assets to earn something that resembles a yield. So when it is contributing to the health of the network and being used to validate transactions, investors get about 4% of their money distributed to them on a regular basis. And so when you have cash flows that are coming out of an asset in cryptocurrencies, 
it's possible that someday in the future we may be able to arrive at something like a fundamental valuation for cryptocurrencies. And the more that we start to research these assets and develop these frameworks about how to think of them, it's possible that at some point we may be able to curb volatility in the space and increase utility, uh, which is really exciting. So this market has room for efficiency gains, it sounds like, and there are ways to put it into greater context through the research that you're doing. That's great. Madeline, you're a former fund analyst. Have you stayed in touch with what the developments have been to make diversified managed products available to investors in the U.S.? Yeah, regulation has been a key hurdle for product innovation in the fund space as it relates to digital assets. Most of the crypto native and financial investment product specialists and providers have been kind of hamstrung by the current regulatory environment. And it's been an interesting space to watch because what you see kind of across the board is a lot of these firms and even down to some of the developer communities at the digital asset level are encouraging and, and in fact asking for the, a greater presence of regulators and greater clarity on the space in order to kind of foster this innovation. The current landscape of products in the mutual fund space in the U.S. as far as digital assets goes uh, is pretty limited to equity ETFs. So ETFs that hold stocks that are closely correlated to the results of digital assets. MicroStrategy is a common holding of these funds. Coinbase is another. You also have some futures-based ETFs. CME just uh, launched Ethereum futures. You have some ETFs that are rolling forward futures contracts in order to get exposure to the underlying asset. And then finally, you have products that operate more as private trusts. Uh, Grayscale is the most notable purveyor of these. Adoption on all of these products has been fairly muted, given the risks inherent in trying to track an asset that doesn't have institutional custody at scale. Investors have been rightly skeptical of the ability of these products to effectively track the markets they claim to. And so it's an area that I think there is still a lot of groundwork that needs to be laid before it can finally be brought to bear in a fully diversified portfolio. Thank you, Madeline. And now we'll be talking with Hashim. Welcome, Hashim. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So Hashim, in your bio on your website, there's mention of you learning about Bitcoin in 2017 and starting down the crypto rabbit hole. Tell us a little bit about what hooked you in to this when you started to focus on this back then. So we actually started in, in 2017 looking at setting up mining operations in British Columbia. BC, we're very fortunate here with the excess uh, capacity of power and that 97% of the power produced in, in the province is green. It's all hydro. So we had secured a little over 100 megawatts of power, looked at setting up mining operations. But through 2017, 2018, 2019, the price of Bitcoin in comparison to the cost of mining provided very, very small margins. And the idea of sending, you know, $60 million to a company in China, hopefully getting your equipment six or eight months later was a little too much of a risk for us. But we did have the opportunity to travel the world and go to conferences everywhere, whether it's throughout the US, Canada, Europe, and we spent quite a bit of time in China as well. 
And we recognized all of these young entrepreneurs that were creating amazing technologies, but recognized that for a wealth management firm, they were never going to be able to figure out all of the different pieces and the complexity and how are you going to have data integrations between liquidity and custody providers, or how do you trace that technology, or how do you provide the reporting? That was a complexity that a lot of firms were not going to be able to meet. So that's why we started off building Amy Pro, which integrated with a number of technology providers on the back end, but really simplified and provided that bridge to uh, traditional wealth management. What have been some challenges facing financial advisors right now who are trying to get access to information about crypto to better serve their clients? Many clients are showing up at their advisors with greater knowledge around NFTs, about Bitcoin, about Ether and other cryptocurrencies. And wealth advisors are, are truly challenged with being able to find that information, really focused around unbiased and truthful information. And most of the content is out there is focused on the consumer. It's very technical and it's also distributed by those product vendors. For us, we have three key pillars to learning. It's simplify, simplify, simplify. It's focused on storytelling and providing content for continuous learning journey. This isn't a, a case where you can take a course and know everything. This is an ongoing evolving asset class that advisors need to be engaged with. How do you balance the goal of simplicity with the reality of complexity? So it's really important for advisors not only to understand how blockchain or crypto or what it is, but how is that relevant within a portfolio of their client? How do you look at it from whether it's a store of value with regards to Bitcoin? How do you look at portfolio performance that includes cryptocurrencies? And so it's the next evolution of learning going from what it is to how and why it's relevant. The current market with regards to regulations and other issues that are out there from a risk perspective, that's evolving. And that's why we also consider this a continuous learning journey. It is important to stay on top of what's happening from a news perspective, global economic issues that are affecting investments. All of the fundamentals that apply in traditional finance apply in cryptocurrencies. You just need to have access to the information to allow you to make appropriate decisions for your clients. Yeah, it's almost more important with less regulation to have more information about what to watch out for. Because if you're restricted and guided, it's almost like you, you kind of can't make a mistake. In the absence of, of guidance and regulation, it is important to have education. Absolutely. And our perspective on this is that not every client should be holding crypto. Advisors need to either get to a qualified yes or a qualified no. But they have a duty of care and a duty of loyalty as a fiduciary for their clients that requires them at a minimum to just learn about it and be able to have that conversation with their clients. Sounds like that your product offering today is mainly around education. How do you deliver that product and what are your aspirations for filling other empty spaces in serving advisors with regard to crypto? So we actually started this company with the development of a wealth management platform to enable advisors to build portfolios, buy cryptocurrencies, and then apply those portfolios to their clients. What we recognized fairly quickly was that advisors needed to learn first. 
And that's where the market is right now. Number of our clients are going through strategic workshops to define what their digital asset practice looks like. That very quickly evolves into, well, everybody needs to get educated, not just the advisor, but the back office, the compliance team, the accountants, the lawyers, everybody that's surrounding the practice needs to learn. And then it gets to which advisors or all of the advisors, in our opinion, should at least learn about this. We've developed our wealth management platform, which is called Amy Pro, and we've developed our learning platform called Amy Learn. And that learning platform consists far greater than just courses. It is a glossary of terms. Terminology in in digital assets is different than that of traditional finance. Custody in, in digital assets is different. Staking is different. Pegging is different. And advisors need to have a common glossary of of terms to enable them to understand what's going on. We have learning content in bite size all the way up to full certified courses, uh, enabling advisors to get their CE credits. We have community of practice, so you can ask an expert in whatever topic it is that you want to learn about, whether it's regulation, compliance, any of the cryptocurrencies, but just having access to to experts is a key piece of this. We also ledger all of your learning on the blockchain. So you have an immutable record of your learning journey that helps on the compliance side to make sure that the compliance officer understands which advisors have taken what courses and are proficient in selling that specific product to their clients. What are some things that have surfaced as you've been on this journey of educating advisors as far as the greatest challenges to getting the information they need to work effectively with their clients and what would have been some kind of quick wins or quick learnings that you've seen? If you want to build your practice for the future, that really engages that next generation. We've seen advisors and firms finally at the point where they've recognized that this is an asset class that is not going away. Digital assets or or blockchain as a technology is the fastest adoption of a technology ever in in humankind. It's accelerating faster than the uh, adoption of the internet. That drives a tremendous amount of need from the perspective of advisors and all of the ancillary services that go around a firm to at least engage and learn. What are some things that firms have been doing right to facilitate education and to facilitate access to advisors on behalf of their clients to these assets. So what I'm really encouraged about is the movement of traditional finance into this realm. So this all started with really young, smart technology entrepreneurs that took an idea and started building companies and business models around digital assets. Looking at firms in the U.S., primarily, like Morningstar, that are offering education series, podcasts, and technologies around digital assets is bringing a sense of maturity to the market. We've seen some absolutely terrible scenarios in in cryptocurrencies, whether it's back in the Quadriga days in Canada, up to just recently the issues that happened with Terra Luna. Those are young business models that are still being evolved, but the movement of traditional finance into this will bring a sense of compliance and regulatory. It'll bring support and money into the industry to make sure that 
clients are protected throughout this process. A big challenge here has been that consumers have been the driver behind this. The watching traditional finance move into the space has been really, really encouraging. Shim, I see that your business is based in Vancouver. Do you have customers in Canada and the United States? And if so, how do the services you offer or what is demanded differ? Uh, yeah, we do have uh, clients in both Canada and the U.S. It's interesting, the Canadian market is actually a little bit further than the U.S. with the respect to the development of crypto ETFs and things like that. But the flip side of that is the regulations in Canada are much, much slower than they are in the U.S. RIAs in the U.S. can go ahead and buy cryptocurrencies and other digital assets on behalf of their clients. There is a path forward. It's just that most advisors and most firms, especially the compliance teams, don't know that there is a path forward. So a big part of what we do from a consulting perspective is working with the compliance teams, helping them understand how do you get the approvals necessary to enable their advisors to do this. And a big part of what we do is partner with other firms. So we have a partnership in the U.S. with a company called Jute who are regulatory and compliance experts that enable and, and support advisors to be able to engage in this. Any of the big Canadian banks provide custody services or how is that handled for, for clients in Canada? Currently, Fidelity recently announced that uh, they're offering custody solutions. We have been notified as well that CIBC, BNY Mellon are planning to offer custody solutions in Canada. There are a couple of other small firms that have components of custody, but fundamentally right now, Gemini is the primary qualified custodian for most crypto assets in Canada. So part of our uh, platform, uh, Amy Pro, is fully integrated into Gemini to be able to provide the qualified custodian functionality that Canadians need. It'd be great for a Canadian firm to have an, an offer custody for Canadian clients. Regulation is obviously a huge aspect of crypto that isn't fully developed yet. How do you engage with regulators or, or do you just kind of take what regulators give you? No, we're, we're actually currently educating regulators in Canada. Mm. I mean, they're faced with the challenge of uh, registrants applying to be able to offer digital assets and yet their own staff don't know enough yet. So it's really important for us to be able to build specific things like competency maps of what information does an advisor need to have. And we're taking a very conservative approach to that, really driven from traditional finance and the information that they need for any other asset class. So we're taking frameworks that existed in TradFi and applying those to the digital asset space. So it is very conservative. It is a very well thought out and laid out process. There's a whole program around information that they need and then understanding that this is ongoing. And so you have to be constantly up to date with how things evolve. You know, we had the merge of Ether last week or the, or the Ethereum blockchain. How does that impact an advisor? There's so many things that go on just in, in that merge that advisors without access to education and without access to information really don't know what the impact of that is going to be on their clients. Morningstar at its heart is an investment research firm, and we have a platform called PitchBook. So I looked up your firm in PitchBook and saw that you took an investment earlier this year from a DC-based fund of some kind. Tell us about what uh, your decision criteria were in, 
partnering with that firm and, and what you expect to get out of it to help your business grow. We received funding from a, um, a private family office out of Europe, and they have a very deep knowledge and experience in the world of tokenization. They're tokenizing assets all over the world, mining operations, real estate operations. Our focus isn't just on cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin and Ether are the starting point, but this really evolves into the world of tokenization, whether it's tokenized real estate, tokenized private equity, asset-backed tokens, security-backed tokens. Everything is going to be digital. And so having a family office with investments and expertise in tokenization was a big piece of uh, why we ended up going the path we did. This isn't an asset class that's going away, and it's time for advisors to get engaged. Investors expect them to be prepared to have a path forward on their behalf if they're going to stick with them, particularly younger investors. We see a tremendous opportunity for wealth advisors going forward and really be able to uh, take leadership roles within their firms engaging in digital assets. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision. Madeline Hume is employed by Morningstar Research Services, LLC, a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc., 